quickly, announcing the boy's name over the loudspeaker to every patient within earshot. But there is still no sign of him. By 4.15 that afternoon, young James is still missing, and the police are contacted. Nobody could know it at that moment, but the disappearance and subsequent murder of young James Bolger would become a contentious legal case throughout the United Kingdom and would lead to not only widespread press within the country but also around the globe. This is the death cast and this is the murder of James Bolger. Hello and welcome to the DeathCast. I am your host, best-selling author, Ian Tot. I'd like to welcome you to episode 2 of season 3 of the DeathCast, where today we are going to be looking at the murder of two-year-old James Bolger, which took place in 1993 in the United Kingdom. Before I dive into that case, however, I've got my normal plugs. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, that would be Facebook, MeWe, YouTube. Just search for Ian Totten, author. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, search for Corpse Creek Publishing. If you'd like to join the mailing list, just go to CorpseCreekPublishing.com, click the sign-up button, and you're all set. If you're interested in becoming a supporter of this show while on the website, CorpseCreekPublishing.com, simply click on the donate button, buy me a cup of coffee, pack of smokes, whatever you feel. No amount is too small, and certainly no amount is too large. If you would like to find any of my written works, you can also find them on the website, CorpseCreekPublishing.com, or on Amazon, or wherever else you are find your reading materials. My latest novel, Maggie, is currently out in paperback, hardcover, and ebook with an audiobook due out at some point next month. If you really enjoy the show, please consider liking and subscribing on your favorite podcast platform, leaving a five-star review. They really do help the show in terms of getting it more notice, as the more five-star reviews 
the more likely it is that the algorithms for the podcast platforms are going to flag that show for more listeners. If you don't like the show, you want to leave a one-star review, well, go fuck yourself. I don't have time for people like you. All right, now that that is out of the way, get yourself something to drink, find a nice comfy chair, sit back, relax. I've got my coffee, I've got my cigarettes. Let's go into the print. As you heard in the opening of the show today, we are talking about the murder of James Patrick Bolger on February 12th, 1993 in Bootle, England. Now, if you're of a certain age, you probably remember this story fairly well. Um, it received a lot of attention, not just in but all over the world. I can remember being a 12-year-old and seeing the closed-circuit television footage of James being led out of the mall on the evening news. And it wasn't just once, it was often. Um, probably a couple of times every week as things developed within the case. I actually have very distinct memories of Chuck Scarborough going over the case and talking about how shocking it was due not only to the nature of the crime, but also because of the age of the perpetrators, which, as you will see, was fairly young. James Patrick Bolger was born on March 16, 1990 the son of Ralph Stephen and Denise Bolger in the Liverpool area of England. You can find pictures of both Ralph and Denise online. They were a fairly young couple. And given that this was 1993, it really wasn't you know, that widespread that you would have children go missing in such a fashion as James did. As it stated in the opening, Denise had taken James with her to the Strand Shopping Center in Boodle, where she went to a number of different stores before going to a butcher shop and while she was at the butcher's shop, as she was paying for her purchase, she momentarily let go of James's hand, only to realize a moment later that her young son had vanished. Obviously distraught, she began asking people if they had seen her son as well as contacting mall security, who sprang into action by having this young boy's name announced on the mall's PA system on Fortunately, he did not come forward. Nobody had seen him, at least nobody that was talked to at that time. And eventually, the police were contacted and they came in and rightly so made a very big deal about the situation. James was listed as a missing and possibly endangered child. 
And as the police began their investigation and began to talk to people both in the mall and in the surrounding area, as well as look at the closed-circuit television monitors from the mall, they noticed two young boys who appeared to be loitering in the mall for most of the day, as well as apparently attempting to lure other young children away from their parents. At 3.42 in the afternoon, the camera captured the pair just outside of the butcher shop where Mrs. Bolger was standing next to a candy kiosk and they appeared to be calling to somebody and fairly soon you could see a young child who turned out to be James Bolger approach the pair at which point they both took his hands and led him out of the mall. As police would learn many people saw this pair as they went through the mall and also through the surrounding town and a few people stated that they thought that it was just two older brothers walking their younger brother while others stated that they saw the pair punch and kick the young child and that the child seemed to be under duress but upon questioning the pair they let them go on their merry way where the police did not know. Upon further questioning of people who were within the mall that day, they discovered that the pair of youths had attempted to lure other children, with one mother who was inside a TJ Hughes department store stating that the two boys had tried getting their, her children's attention, and moments later she saw that her three-year-old daughter and two-year-old son were missing. Not long after, she found her three-year-old daughter, and upon asking the child where her son was, the daughter replied that he had, quote, gone outside with the boys. The mother went through the mall calling out her son's name and actually went outside where she found the young boy being beckoned to by these two older children, and upon seeing the mother one of the boys told him to go back to his mother before the duo vanished. And there might be some of you out there saying, you know, how could something as blatant and disturbing as this go unreported? Well, remember, this was 1993, and it was light years away from where we are now in you know, the world society. Whereas if something like this were to happen, an attempted abduction or, you know, even a successful abduction, people would have noticed it more likely than not, would have said something. There are those sickos out there who may have simply just recorded it with their cell phones so that they can sell the footage after the fact, but by and large, people would have said something if this were today, had they seen it. Back then, though, again, it was a different world. The mother got her children back, and, you know, I'm sure she was scared after the fact, but I doubt that she gave it much thought beyond that. 
However, the two boys went back into the mall and continued looking for a child to lead away with them. Obviously, they unfortunately found James Bolger. The police began circulating images and scenes from the closed-circuit television throughout the Leeds-Liverpool area. The next day, on the 13th, they continued their search as they had gotten some new information of multiple witnesses seeing the trio walking throughout Liverpool and actually went and checked out a canal where the trio had been seen. They encountered numerous witnesses who said that they saw them. Uh, One or possibly two witnesses, it's hard to tell, the stories differ from source to source, stated that they saw young James laughing at times and were crying and that he had the hood of his jacket up over his head. One witness stated that when she saw the trio looking out of her windows, she simply closed the curtains and went back to doing what she had been, while another witness stated she questioned the two older boys who said that they found the young child at the bottom of a hill crying and were trying to help him find his mother. It is known that they went into at least one, possibly two different stores with James, and while the shopkeepers were suspicious of the trio, they did nothing beyond tell the boys that they needed to leave. On February 14, 1993, a group of children were playing on a railway line in Walton, Liverpool, which is just about two and a half miles from the shopping center and right across the street from the Walton Lane police station when they found the bisected battered body of a small child up on the tracks. The children immediately went and contacted the police who closed off the area and began an exhaustive search. It was found that James's body had been cut to most likely the result of being hit by a train, but there were other injuries that were more significant to their inquiry. There were numerous bruises, and in fact, they discovered a shoe print on the side of James's face. They also found blue paint in one of the boy's eyes and on his face, and it appeared that he had been with rocks before being hit over the head repeatedly with a large steel bar that they found nearby. Obviously, the parents and the community were devastated by the fact that this young child had been killed while his killers had not been successfully apprehended. However, during the interim between his disappearance and his body body being discovered, the police began to work on enhancing images of the two suspected murderers, and a woman recognized a face in one of these enhancements. 
enhanced images as belonging to a 10-year-old by the name of Robert Thomas. This woman informed the police who were in the process of checking nearby schools to see their absentee lists for that day that both Robert Thomas and his friend, another 10-year-old by the name of John Venables, had both been truant from school that day and that she had, in fact, seen blue paint on the sleeve of Venables' jacket. While they made ready to go and question the pair and search their homes, People in the nearby communities were in a panic with parents turning their own children in as possible suspects, as well as people calling in stating that they thought it might be this, these boys who had done it or those boys. It became so much so that one young man who had absolutely nothing to do with the crime was forced to leave the area under threats of violence. On February 18, 1993, the police descended on the homes of Robert Thomas and John Venables and began to question the two young men as well as search the homes. And they found blood on both of the boys' clothing as well as paint that was similar to the paint that was put into Bulger's left eye on both their jackets, pants, shirts, and shoes. They were also able to match, eventually, one of the shoes as being the shoe that had left the footprint on the side of James Bulger's face. Obviously, both Thompson and, or, yeah, Thompson and Venables were taken into custody, although neither of their names were released at the time. Again, they're underage, and Britain has really, really fucked up laws when it comes to the prosecution of youths in violent crimes. On February 20th, both boys were officially charged with the murder of James Bolger, and they made their first appearance in court at the South Sefton Youth Court on the 22nd of February, where they were remanded into custody, which basically means they were being held without bail. So we have these two young boys, they're in police custody, the police begin to interrogate the boys separate from one another. And initially, Robert Thompson refused to cooperate with the police. In fact, he was the tougher of the two eggs to crack, so to speak. Whereas John Venerables was all too willing to give up his cohort stating, quote, I did kill him. What about his mom? Will you tell her I'm sorry? Thompson, on the other hand, continued to deny his involvement, but eventually was proven to be a liar as he was 
asked to give a description of what James Folger was wearing, and he described it to a T. And the police began to piece together from what both young men said exactly what it was that had happened. So let's briefly take a look at the two accused. Robert Thompson was born in Liverpool on August 23, 1982. He was the fifth of seven children. Fairly early in his adolescence, his father abandoned the family, leading his mother to turn to alcohol and eventually even attempt suicide. John Venables was also born in Liverpool on August 13, 1982. Venables' parents were separated, although it's been said that his father was still in the picture. His mother was seen as something of a loose woman around town and was known to have many different boyfriends as well as being exceedingly strict with her son. The two met while in school and quickly formed a relationship. Both Venables and Thompson were known to be troublemakers in school as well as budding petty criminals. It was known by those who knew them that both boys would steal objects of little or no value from stores just really for the thrill of it. And if they happened to be in a place like a mall, they would throw these items down the escalator just because. It's difficult to pinpoint when the idea that they should abduct a child came into play, but at some point during either late 1992 or early 1993, the two of them decided that they should kidnap a kid and kill them. And that is exactly what they had set out to do when they went to the mall that day. They hung around the mall loitering, stealing small objects whenever they could get an opportunity to, and were really lurking, looking for an unattended child. As stated, they had the first child that they were trying to get, but unfortunately the child's mother was able to get him back, so they continued on their way, along the way stealing batteries, uh, a can of blue paint that would later be found at the crime scene on the railroad tracks, and when they happened upon James Bolger, they were standing outside of a, a candy kiosk looking for an opportunity to steal the candy. According to both boys, the initial plan had been to kidnap a child from the mall and take them from that mall and then throw them out into traffic. Once they got going, however, nerves began to set in and they realized that it would not be such a good idea to throw the boy into traffic as there were too many people about, at which point they ended up going down into the I believe it's the Leeds-Liverpool Canal where they picked up James Bolger and dropped him on his head, which caused a massive gash on his forehead, which led the two boys to pull his hood up over his 
head so that other people wouldn't see it. They began walking again after that, with Bolger at times running ahead of them before being called back. And as you've heard, multiple witnesses saw them during this period of time and stopped them to find out what was going on. What police did not know, however, was that not long before the actual murder took place, the two boys, Venables and Thompson, ran into a group of children that they knew, and these children asked both of them who the young boy with them was, and believed them when Venables said that the young boy was Thompson's brother. Which gives me the idea that maybe Thompson and Venerables were not very well liked by their classmates, because you would think that if these were friends of yours, you would know their siblings. At any rate, the pair was allowed to continue on unmolested. We will get back to the case of the murder of James Bolger in just a moment. Selling author of the House of the Silver Dolls, the Blood Gotch Trilogy, and the Throwaway Girls of Olympia comes Maggie, a book which New York Times best-selling author Keith Elliott Greenberg has called a classic detective story, well-crafted, and a supernatural vortex. Maggie. The name was burned into Lieutenant Carl Jablonski's mind like a brand and had been since the night of the fire. He doubted he would ever forget that night or how she had danced in the flames of her burning home. Maggie, who was she and why did no one in Kaya's Crossing seem interested in talking about her or her family? These were questions without answers. Quandaries that drove Carl on as he explored the darkest of the town's secrets, desperate to unravel the knots that tied everything together. Maggie, Carl felt haunted by a visage, even as the local reporter, George Murphy, told him of the blood-soaked history that lay along their path and the horrors that it held. None of it seemed real, and yet it was. The sacrifices, the screams... The pact with the nameless ones, and the hell that she had endured. Maggie, hers was a crime begging to be solved, and he and George are the only ones with enough heart to do it. The real question is, will they survive long enough to do it? Maggie, available 11, 30, 2021, in paperback and hardcover. Ebook pre-orders are now available at Amazon.com. Only from Corpse Creek Publishing. You have been warned. And we're back. Go buy the book. Anyways, after leaving the other group of children, the trio walked to the village of Walton. Arriving at the Walton Lane police station, 
the two boys apparently hesitated as they looked up the embarkment before them at the railway line that ran across the top of the hill. And eventually they decided to go up the hill and carry out their plan. Once at the top of the hill, they began their assault of two-year-old James Bulger. And I just want to say, if you're squeamish or upset by this kind of stuff, you may want to skip forward a few seconds, a minute or two. I'm really not going to get into it too deep, but it might upset you. Okay, so they get up to the top of the hill, and one of the boys opens the can of paint that they had stolen from the shopping center and throws it in James Bolger's eyes, at which point the two began beating the young child and hitting him with bricks and with stones. They eventually filled his mouth with batteries and removed his clothing, including his socks and shoes. In fact, a pathologist later stated that he believed that there was some form of sexual assault that had taken place as it was found that James Bolger's foreskin had been forcibly pulled back, although neither suspect ever spoke about this aspect of the crime. After beating James for an indeterminate period of time, they picked up a 20-pound metal bar that was lying nearby and proceeded to bash him in the head with it, leading to at least 10 skull fractures. After which, they placed James's body on the railway line tracks in the hopes that it would look like an accident, that he had been hit by a train, at which point the two boys left and went on their merry way. Obviously, a train did come, it did cut James's body in two, and the rest, as they say, is history. Personal opinion, I have no hardcore evidence facts to back this up, except to say, we will get into this later, one of the boys that was convicted of this has been in prison multiple times since then for pedophilia. So the fact that there was, you know, the assault on James's genital area knowing what we know now about one of the perpetrators, it's very likely to me that there was probably some form of sexual gratification involved in this murder. Not saying that they, you know, brutally molested the young boy, you know, such as, you know, buggery or anything like that, but it is very possible indeed it's Probable that there was at least some type of fondling that took place. Which, to me, it just adds to the horror of this story. As I stated, I remember when this crime happened. I remember it really well because it was all over the New York stations, um, the images, and then the two boys being brought to trial, and they Initially, they're referred to as Boy A and Boy B. Now, while awaiting trial, 
Venerables and Thompson were held in a secure unit specifically for their own protection because people were pissed and rightfully so. This is the type of situation where had the police not been diligent, it is very likely that these two little bastards would have been rightfully lynched in the middle of the town square because of what they had done. You can find video of protests of people screaming, kill the bastards, and a life for a life. I mean, people in the area were incensed. It was so intense that the British government took the added step of moving both Venerables and Thompson's families out of the area and giving them assumed names because the threat of violence against them was so high and the death threats so numerous that they feared that they would end up, you know, having no other choice but to drop the charges or, you know, move the venues if they didn't get the families out of the area. On November 1st, 1993, the trial began. And amazingly for British law, their trial was one that was held as an adult trial. Normally in Britain, they almost never charge the accused if they're underage as adults as they did in the case of Mary Bell. The boys were charged with murder, abduction, and attempted abduction. Again, charges that they wholeheartedly refuted despite the fact that both of them had eventually spilled the beans to the police. The boys had to sit in raised seats in order to see over their tables and see the entire courtroom. And Thompson was noted for his stony, almost emotionless demeanor. And he was dubbed by the press as the boy who whereas Venerables had numerous outbursts during the proceedings. The defense tried to state that the principle of Dali Kapaxis, which is that youths are not and cannot be held legally responsible for their actions, which was refuted by the prosecution. The, to- the prosecution was able to prove that the two of them were capable of mischievous discretion, meaning that they were both fully aware of the fact that what it was that they intended to do was would lead to grave, serious harm, and that it was, in fact, wrong to do. The defense countered this by stating Thompson pleaded with the police to be able to bring the boy back to life, which I find to be absolute bullshit. I think this kid realized he was in a fuckload of trouble, and owning to his age, decided to try and play up his innocence as best he possibly could. The majority of the prosecution's case rested on over 20 hours of interviews the police conducted with both Venerables and Thompson, and it was shown that 
while Venerables had initiated the plan and in fact led the trio to the railway, it was Thompson who had led the way insofar as the actual committing of the murder. I will be posting pictures of both of these disgusting pieces of crap. Thompson looks like your typical adolescent, pudgy 10-year-old boy. Venerables, there's just something about him. He's got these beady, red-around-the-edge eyes that put one in the mind of a possible. Another apt description of Venerables is that he is similar in appearance to the rat version of Professor Moriarty from The Great Mouse Detective. He has that same rat-type face going for him. Show you the cold callousness of two of these individuals. During one of the taped interviews, Venerables is heard lamenting the fact that Bolger apparently appeared to like him and even allowed the child to pick him up as they went on their two-and-a-half-mile journey from the shopping center where they had abducted him, and that he really didn't feel any remorse over what he had done. Lawrence Lee, who was the counsel for Venerables, later tried to push the buck off on Robert Thompson, stating that he was one of the most frightening children he had ever met, and that Thompson was, in fact, like a Pied Piper. After court appearances, Venerables was said to immediately strip off of his clothing, stating that he can smell James on him like a baby smell. Items admitted as evidence were 27 bricks, a bloodstained stone, Bulger's underpants, and the iron bar used to bash in his head. And a pathologist took the stand for over 30 minutes to describe the over 40 injuries that young James had sustained during the ordeal, stating that there had been numerous lacerations and contusions to his brain, including a hemorrhage. On November 24th, 1993, both boys, by now aged 11, were convicted in Bolger's murder at Preston Court. The judge, in handing out his sentences, stated they had committed a crime of unparalleled evil and barbarity. In my judgment, your conduct was both cunning and very wicked. They were sentenced to be detained at Her Majesty's pleasure, which means basically for as long as the courts decided they wanted to keep them in prison. And they recommended a minimum term of eight years. At the end of the trial, the judge lifted the restrictions on reporting of the case, thus allowing images and the children's names to become public. After the trial, the Lord Chief Justice of Britain recommended that the boys should serve a minimum of 10 years, which would have made them eligible for release in February of 2003 at the age of 20. However, 
got to remember, this was a huge, this was Britain's uh, O.J. Simpson trial. The Sun newspaper sent a petition into the court with over 280,000 signatures, including Home Secretary Michael Howard, in a bid to increase the time spent in custody by both boys. Such was the outrage over this case that the Lord Chief Justice in July of 1994 increased the amount of time that the boys would have to be kept in custody before release to 15 years, meaning that they would be allowed out in February of 2008. Again, the fucked up British system, this was overturned in 1997 because Britain has a habit of protecting the perpetrators as opposed to the victims. And then, in 1999, the joke that is the European Court of Human Rights came out and lambasted the British court system for trying the two young men as adults. Which, I'm sorry, the European Court of Human Rights has been a fucking joke since it was its inception. And they should be disbanded at this point because the only time that they step in and throw their weight around is to protect the guilty as opposed to the innocent which they do quite often and for some reason those in Europe listen to what they say as opposed to you know torching these fuckers houses the politicians in Britain again they tried to point fingers at everything that they could as as blame for this, including violent videos, uh, yada, 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 with newspapers claiming that the movie Child's Play 3 was the contributing factor in James Bolger's death. Only one politician that I'm aware, aware of actually came forward and said, that's all bullshit, we need not worry about freaking, you know, having passion for these two idiots we need to throw the book at them both boys were said to suffer post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of the horrific crime that they committed notwithstanding they were held in secured units and taught not to give out their real names nor the reason why they were being incarcerated this was to protect them from the other Sorry, they should have said something. Is who that is. Let prison justice take care of things. Anyways, both boys' parents routinely came and visited them while they were incarcerated. Again, showing how absolutely useless the European Court on Human Rights is. They basically got the Europe, the United Kingdom's court system to reduce the two young men's prison sentences from 10 years to 8. And they were basically informed that they were going to be released from prison in a witness protection style program. Meaning that they, everything about them would be changed. Including they were not allowed to contact each other or the Bolger family. They were prohibited from visiting the 
Merseyside region, curfews might be imposed and they must report to probation officers. Basically, they were given new identities and released from prison, meaning that the British media was not allowed to give their new names or whereabouts, but obviously people have found out about these two pieces of crap being among them, and unfortunately, uh, the British government has gone after people who reveal their new identities pretty heavily, um, seeming to think that these two worthless specks of human skin deserve and should be allowed to be out in polite society as opposed to rotting in a cold grave somewhere. So, the Bolger family, that was Ralph and Denise, they had another child, but ultimately separated and divorced in 1995, and went on to have four children. It's obvious that the murder of their son, James, was more likely than not the contributing factor to the failure of their marriage, which... I can't fault either party for not being able to go on with that one. There have been numerous sentences imposed by British courts over the years, coming directly from the fact that individuals have released either the locations, photographs, or new names of both Robert Thompson and John Venerables. Despite that, it doesn't seem as though people really give a shit what the British government thinks regarding these two. I mean, James Bolger's father went to court and fought long and hard in order to try and get the life tariff on their location and names lifted, only to be told that there was significant evidence stating that both young men would more likely than not be murdered if their whereabouts became known. Everything I have read, Robert Thompson has seemingly turned himself around. Remember, this is the one who has been described as an undiagnosed psychopath. Uh, he's gotten married, he has a child, he's living somewhere in England. John Venerables is a whole other ballgame entirely. Remember, I described him as Weasley Priest. Well, Mr. Venerables is the sole reason I believe that there was some point of sexual motive behind the attack. In 2001, when he was 17, Venerables was said to have had a sexual relationship with a woman who worked at the Red Bank Secure Unit where he was held. In March 2002, he began a relationship with a woman who had a five-year-old child. And this is important because some point during this period, Venerables began downloading images of child pornography, although he is claimed to have never met the woman's child. In 2005, when he was 23, his probation officer noted that Venerables was dating much younger women, usually around the age of 16 or 17, 
and stated that he believed Edward Wolves was having a delayed adolescence. In 2007, his supervision was greatly reduced, at which point Venerables began using drugs and alcohol in direct violation of his release, as well as beginning to visit the Merseyside area, which, if you'll remember, that's the area that James Bolger was taken from and murdered in, as well as downloading much more child pornography. He's known to have been arrested a couple of times during this, at one point for cocaine possession, at another time for having been in a fistfight outside of a bar. On March 2nd, 2010, it was revealed that Venables had been returned to prison, and it was further expanded on the 7th of March when it was revealed that he had in fact been imprisoned for possession of child pornography. On June 21st, 2010, he was charged with possession and distribution of indecent images. It stated that he downloaded 57 images of children over a 12-month period and how to other people to have access to his files through a peer-to-peer network probably wondering how Venables got caught because the UK court system is so on top of things and basically he contacted his probation officer stating that he suspected his true identity had been compromised at work and when his probation officer arrived at his apartment he found Venables trying to destroy a hard drive on a computer this obviously raised suspicions and the computer was taken and examined Venables was found guilty of this and held in prison. In 2011, it was decided that he would stay in prison and that he could not be considered for parole for at least another year. Also in 2011, it was decided that Venables would be given a new identity. In 2013, Venables was reported released from prison. Again, though, this numb fuck got arrested on November 23rd of 2017, again for for possessing child pornography, as well as having a quote-unquote pedophile manual. He was sentenced to three years and four months in prison and was denied parole in September of 2020. As of the recording of this podcast, John Venables remains incarcerated in the United Kingdom, although it was reported in 2019 that the British government wanted to send him overseas, possibly to Canada, Australia, or New Zealand. However, these countries refused his entry, and he remains locked up, which my personal opinion, both he and Robert Thompson should never have been released in the first place. Alright, that is it for the DeathCast this week. Again, I am your host, best-selling author Ian Totten. I hope you enjoyed my look at the murder of James Bolger. If you enjoy the show, please 
like, subscribe, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends. The Death Cast is a production of Corpse Creek Publishing. Until next time, stay morbid. Let's get it.